Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today in Science from Wired. The controversial quest to make cow burps less noxious. Their incessant belching loads the atmosphere with planet-warming methane. But it's not so simple as just feeding them gas-busting seaweed. By Matt Simon. It's an oppressively hot morning in the barnyard, even in the shade of the long open-air structure where the cows come to feed. On a typical farm, they would gather around a trough, But here at UC Davis, they chow from special blue bins, which detect when and how much each one eats. It's like Weight Watchers, only researchers here aren't so much interested in these cows' figures, but how much they burp. Animal scientist Frank Mitlerner leads me to another kind of feeder, one that could easily be mistaken for a miniature wood chipper. He grabs a handful of the alfalfa pellets that the machine dispenses when it detects that a cow has poked its head in. This is like candy to them, Mitlerner says. I stick my head into the machine, as Mitlerner points out, a small metal tube within. This probe measures the methane they exhale, and that happens every three hours for all the animals in this study. Cows, you see, have a serious emissions problem. To digest tough plant material, their cavernous stomachs act as fermentation vats. They're teeming with methanogens, Microbes that process cellulose to make volatile fatty acids, which the cows turn into meat and milk. But those methanogens also produce methane, a particularly nasty greenhouse gas that is 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide, thanks to the way its molecules vibrate to absorb infrared radiation. These gases capture heat, and that means more global warming. The methane is a byproduct, an unintended consequence, I'd say, of the unique ability of ruminant animals to digest cellulose, says Mitlerner. But just because cows can eat it doesn't mean it's easy for them. Because the plants cows eat are nutritionally poor, the animals have to eat a lot of food to survive and periodically bring it back up from their four stomachs to ruminate it again. That's chewing the cud. That leads to incessant burping, or, as scientists call it, enteric emissions. Now multiply those burps by the world's huge cattle population. To satisfy humanity's bottomless appetite for beef and milk, a billion head of cattle now roam the planet. 
A paper published in September in the journal Nature Food by an international team of researchers found that the global food system generates a staggering 35% of total greenhouse gas emissions. Beef is responsible for a quarter of those food emissions, with another 8% coming from milk production. However, methane lasts only for about a decade in the atmosphere, while carbon dioxide persists for centuries. If scientists can figure out how to get cows to stop belching so much, that would make a big dent in emissions, and we'd see the climate effects almost immediately. So Mitlerner and other researchers are experimenting with food additives like seaweed, garlic, and even essential oils derived from plants like coriander seed, which tweak the animal's gut environment in different ways, for instance by disrupting the enzymes that produce methane. They are also playing around with biochar, charcoal basically, which soaks up methane in the gut. That's why Mitlerner is going to such lengths to quantify his cow's diets. Using the high-tech troughs and snack-dispensing methane detectors, he can show how well a particular technique might reduce enteric emissions. We have found that, depending on what additive you are dealing with, you can reduce enteric emissions anywhere between 10 to 50 percent, and that is sensational, says Mitlerner. Earlier this year, a team co-led by his UC Davis colleague, animal scientist Aramis Kabreb, published research showing a gas reduction of up to 82% with seaweed additives. But studies from scientists testing other additives have shown lower degrees of effectiveness. A 2019 study from Wageningen University in Research that looked at the organic compound 3-nitrooxypropano, or 3-NOP, found up to a 50% reduction. One of the researchers in the UK and Switzerland found that agolin, a mixture of essential oils, reduced methane production by only 6%. In New Zealand, cows fed tannins showed a 13% reduction. And the concept of rolling out a feed additive to the world's billion cows faces logistical challenges. The truth is that the benefits of seaweed are likely far more limited both in its capacity to reduce cows' methane emissions and its potential to scale up to the size of the problem, wrote researchers Matthew Hayek and Jan Dutkowicz in Wired earlier this year. They noted that cows produce the most methane when they're grazing in a pasture, eating all that grass, the hard-to-digest stuff. That's where most cattle spend most of their lives. They live on feedlots, where it would be easy to add additives to their diets only in their final months when they're being fattened for slaughter. The researchers estimated that cows belch just 11% of their lifetime methane during those months in feedlots. That's an issue, Mitlerner acknowledges. The challenge will be to get these into free-range cattle that are not fed at a trough, he says. One way might be via salt licks, or maybe via drinking water. Work is also ongoing to put these active ingredients into a slow-release bolus to be placed in the cow's stomach system. He also wants to avoid side effects. The higher you go with your emissions reduction, the more likely you are to run into unintended consequences, he says. For instance, the researchers have to track the animal's weight to make sure the additive isn't affecting growth. They also have to consider palatability. Maybe cows don't like their food tasting like garlic. Or the animal might end up burping less, but their milk could come out tasting weird. We have to find out what the happy medium is, he says. Farmers in economically developing nations might be particularly hesitant to feed their animals anything that could cause side effects. As long as there is a financial incentive to feeding these additives, they will likely be accepted by farmers and ranchers in developed nations, says Mitlerner. It will be much more challenging to reduce methane in places like Africa and Asia. 
In the meantime, Cabreb is working with agriculture officials in countries like Vietnam and Ethiopia to tackle something those farmers may find more urgent, productivity. Boosting how much milk and meat cattle produce can reduce their carbon footprint because farmers can realize similar gains with fewer animals. This has already happened in the United States. The numbers of cattle have shrunk, yet the country is producing more beef and dairy. U.S. beef consumption has stayed fairly flat, while dairy consumption has steadily declined with the rise of alternatives like soy and almond milk. But herds have been downsized because cows are more productive thanks to advances in breeding, veterinary care, and nutrition. One animal is now producing what two, three, or four animals were producing 50 years ago, says Cabreb. And because of that, a kilogram of milk is actually about 45% lower in its carbon footprint. Because an individual cow produces much more milk, you don't need as many cattle. And because those gains also coincided with gains in crop yield, an acre of farmland now produces more food for cows. That acreage isn't negligible. 41% of the land in the contiguous U.S. is used for feeding livestock, 654 million acres for pasture, and 127 million acres to produce feed. In low-income countries, by contrast, productivity remains low, Cabreb says. One cow is making four or five liters of milk a day, and here, in our herds, 40 liters is an average. To boost productivity in developing nations, Cabreb is working on software that'll determine what kind of feed formulation is best for a particular breed of cattle. Making cattle more productive would help with another emissions problem. The fewer cows you have, the less land you have to clear for them to graze. In Brazil, for instance, ranchers are burning swaths of the Amazon rainforest to make room for cows. An investigation by the NGO Global Witness last year found that in just one Amazon state, over the course of three years, beef companies bought cattle from ranchers responsible for 20,000 football fields worth of illegal deforestation. That disturbance is going to release carbon to the atmosphere, says University of Illinois climate scientist Atul Jain, a co-author on the Nature Food paper. Plus, growing grain for your cows requires tilling the land. That also would release carbon from the soil, because soil is one of the major reservoirs for carbon dioxide, Jane says. You might be thinking that it would be easier to solve the problem if we all just consumed less meat and milk. The answer is that some people can, but some can't. Americans have plenty of alternative proteins, like the Impossible Burger. A recent analysis by the Good Food Institute, which promotes the alternative protein industry, calculates that compared to regular meat, producing plant-based meat uses between 47 and 99% less land and between 72 and 99% less water, and emits between 30 and 90% less greenhouse gas. But to many people around the world, a cow is much more than food. A cow can be an asset not only as a critical source of protein and nutrients like iron, but as a working animal and a kind of currency. As more people ascend into middle class, the demand for meat will increase globally, and Gillian Fry, a public health scientist at Towson University, says that people in industrialized nations should forego meat more often to help strike a balance. That makes it even more urgent for us to shift our diets toward plants, not 100%, but toward plants, so that we're freeing up resources so that folks who don't have the food to meet their basic needs and health will have access to that, she says. We've known for a long time that our Earth does not have the resources to support the world eating the way that Americans do. Mitt Lerner doesn't think this is the most efficient way to go. 
The market share of alternative proteins remains small, he says, even after years of hype. All of that considered, neither the production nor the consumption of animal-sourced foods in the U.S. play anywhere close to the role that the fossil fuel sectors, transport, power, and cement play, which make up 80% of our nation's carbon footprint, says Mitlerner. We will do what we can with livestock, but let's be real about the elephant in the room. That'd be fossil fuels. For her part, Fry thinks there's a danger of using methane-cutting feed additives to prop up a business-as-usual food system. Additives might reduce emissions, but they won't fix the fact that ranchers are mowing down forests to make way for cows. The expanding desire for meat, and especially production of cattle, is a major driver for this deforestation, says Fry, and there's no way to reverse that impact on the climate by adding seaweed to feed. She worries that the meat and dairy industries might choose additives over making other changes. If the industry can hold up one strategy about reducing methane emissions, that's their shiny object to distract people from multiple larger issues that need to be addressed, she continues. A lot of hot air, if you will. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.